0: Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we're very excited to have you with us this morning, uh, this first Sunday of the new year of 2008. So a contented new year to you all. Anybody say that this week? Contented new year? That was emphatic right there. That was awesome. That was so me. Anybody? Who was here last week and know what the heck I'm talking about? Okay. And none of y'all said it. Only one person said contented new year. Did you learn Nothing. I mean, no know why I get up here at times. Just kidding. Because um, I like to talk, really. Uh, we are, it is the first Sunday of a new year, and we are starting in a new direction. And it is a new series entitled Christian Chaos. And basically, let me, t- let me tell you where this uh, series has come from. Uh, at the end of every year in the Methodist Church, you have what is called a charge conference. And this charge conference is basically the church getting together and saying, look what we did last year, and here's what we're going to do this year here's what, here's our forecast. Here's our plans, the vision, and it's led by the senior pastor. And so every year we do this in December and, uh, David Manitsky, our senior pastor will get up and he will give a, uh, a sermonette, if you will, to the church conference on the direction that the church is going in the coming year. And this year, what he said is, I don't know. It's great. It's great leadership, isn't it? You know, oh, but I mean, pretty much that's he said it much more eloquently than that. And it is actually good leadership because this is, this was his point. Basically, I don't know. We know what God wants us to do, but we don't exactly have a plan for it. Because that just isn't the way things work anymore. It's a chaotic world. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today and over the next four weeks to follow. Is that plan, if you will. The plan to have none. Type B people are like, yes! no plan whatsoever type. A people just went, I'm nervous. Um, but it's okay. We'll walk you through it. So over the next four weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. Now, at it, the end of the year, this is or a few days ago. You might have noticed that we're a lot a few weeks ago. Sometimes there's a lot of end of year lists. You notice this? I mean, everybody puts them out. All, all magazines, TV shows, you know, ESPN does their own. And, you know, t- the Today Show did the the top 10, you know, biggest celebrity gaffes of the year. And Brittany was like one through five. And then Paris was six through 10 or something like that. But, you know, it's stuff like that. And, you know, I watch those. And I get a kick out of them. And there was one that they did the greatest, the 25 greatest college football players of all time. Anybody see this list? Vince Young at number 10? No way. There's no way he's the 10th. He's the 10th. He's 10. No. Sorry. You know, sometimes I get a little fired up about these things. Especially when Archie Griffin, two-time Heisman Trophy winner, isn't in the top ten. Just kidding. Because um, he's from Ohio State, maybe. They do all these lists, and then, and once you get the lists out of the way, then you start hearing the predictions. This is what's going to happen in 2008. I heard uh, the guy from Mad Money, that TV, the financial TV show on CNBC, say that he he believed that in 2008, towards the end of the year, the housing market will rebound. And it will be a great, strong housing market once again. He sees it coming to it. Those of you that have houses on the market are going, oh, thank you. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, he's predicting these things. But, you know, predictions are really hard. They're, they're, it's a hard job. It's a hard industry to be in if you're a predictor, a predictologist. I don't know if that's a job, but, you know, it could be. If you're a predictologist, it's a hard industry to be in. Let me give you some examples of predictions that were really wrong. Thomas Edison walked into the U.S. Patent Office and said basically these words All that has been, all that can be invented has now been invented. First of all, what an ego that guy had. I mean, light bulb, whatever, okay, but you know, (laughs) look at all the things that were invented. The front row loved that one. (laughs) Are y'all way back there? Look at all the things that have been invented since then. He was wrong. He predicted that there would be no other significant inventions. In the history of time, because all the significant ones have been done. He had no mind to grasp a computer. An eight-track tape. I mean, come on, Tom. Tom Watson, who was the director of IBM at the time, he said this. I believe that the world needs only five computers. How many of you have five computers in your home? Yeah, if you count PDAs, if you count all those things, yeah. A little calculator watch. I mean, that's a computer. Yeah, five computers is what the guy from IBM said. Do you think he was fired the next year? Or so? I don't know. But five computers were running. At the beginning of last year, all the college experts, football experts, got together and said there was a team that would be the best college football team ever. That they would sweep everybody off the field. In fact, they could even beat some of the lower echelon NFL teams. And Monday night, in the championship football game tomorrow, they are not going to be in it. They've already played in their bowl game. USC is who they suggested that this was the greatest team ever. Predictions are hard. They don't always work. It's hard to look forward at things. It's hard to forecast out in things because we're not in control of it. We're not in control and things change so drastically. With that in mind, I'm going to give you three predictions for this coming year. Number one. Everybody got their pencil on? I predict that as the world has always changed from the history of time, the world is going to continue to change. Fast and profound, I know. Thank you for that. Applause from the front row. That's nice. The world is going to continue to change. That's, that's the first prediction. Times are changing. And in fact, it seems like things change faster and faster and faster every year, don't they? It seems like the advances you make in a year are much more than they used to be. If you look at things back in the 50s and see how things took a long time for things to germinate, for ideas to come forward, for things to be proved, for advances in technology to happen, now it's like... Every other week, every other month, something new is coming. Something, Some big change that's going to change the world is coming forward. There was a guy that wrote back in 1961 that he believed that the change that had happened in the world from the beginning of time to 1961 would pale in comparison to what would happen from 61 and in the next few decades. And he was right. Look at all the things that have changed since that time. I mean, I, I just think about in a much more minute period... The the world that I was born into and the world that my children were born into. I mean, I was born into 8-track tapes. Uh, You know, ask, I mean, front row, do you all even know what an 8-track tape is? We saw one in a museum once. Yeah, I mean, 8-track tapes, I mean, kids don't know that. CDs are going away. I mean, that's that's the world we live in. Even even my daughter may not even know what CDs are because it will all be digital over the web. Things change so quickly. Change is inevitable. In fact, a lot of times change happens because change is happening. Well, that's a little deep to get into, isn't it? Change happens because change is happening. Things are changing, so you've got to change to react to them. The world changes so much, and so it has to continue to change to feed on that change. I'm going to stop saying change in just a second. But that's the way the world works. In the business world right now, There is kind of a trend going in some of the business books that you no longer need a five-year plan. You no longer need a three-year plan because chances are by the time you get to that three years, things will have changed so drastically that that plan is forgettable and it's of no use to you anymore. So a lot of companies are ditching that whole idea. The business world calls it chaos. We're living in a world of chaos in which things change so quickly you have to be able to adapt and to move and to function with the change. Change happens, and it's going to continue to happen. My second prediction is this. That change, as it has always affected the church, will continue to affect the church in this coming year. As the world moves and shapes itself in a different vision, it will affect us. It will affect us as the church. For example, in the past, how many of you remember what a blue law is? Yeah, some of the younger people are like, yeah, I don't remember what a blue law is. That's because it hasn't been around for years. A blue law basically was something that shut the world down on Sunday. The government said no stores can be opened. The world is shut down on Sunday to go to church. The world is shut down on Sunday to spend time with family. It's a Sabbath day. Stores weren't open. And slowly, that started opening more. And then it was just only alcohol wasn't being sold on Sundays. And now, there's no blue law whatsoever. Things change. Remember when schools used to keep Wednesday night open because church things happened on Wednesday nights? Wednesday night was a church night, so schools would never touch it. There would never be a practice. There would never be a PTA or PTO meeting. There would never be any kind of organizational meeting because Wednesday was a church night. No longer. That's usually the night schools prefer to do things, is Wednesday night. That is gone. The world has changed and has affected the church. In... uh, Excuse me, uh, the front page of today's paper. I don't know how many of you read the front day, front page today. There was a pastor, a local pastor, on the front page of today's paper. He was in it again. Back in the 1950s, or, beyond, or maybe even earlier than that, the front page of the paper would also have pastors in it, but it would generally be their sermon. It was the sermon on the front page of the paper. I don't know if any of you in here are mature enough to remember that. I'm not. I'm told this from people that are more mature than I, which is pretty much everybody in the room. But um, today, he was in the paper for nothing good. A lot of times, if a pastor or a church is mentioned on the front page of a paper, it is slamming us. It is putting an eye on us that we don't want to be seen. It is looking at us in a different light that isn't good. It is something negative that's coming out of the church. Ninety percent of the time, if we make the front page news, it is for that reason. Things change. There isn't the reverence for the church that there once was. There isn't the reverence in any walk of life for the church that there once was. In in the 1950s, 44% of America would have been in church on a Sunday morning or in the synagogue on Saturday. 44% of Americans. Today, 20. It's down to 20% of America will be in a synagogue or a church this weekend. And it's projected to go even smaller than that as the years come. If you start dropping in age to the front rows age up here, to the younger crowd, the numbers get shocking. Single digits percent of those of that age generation of high school, early college age people are in a house of worship on a weekend. And the numbers keep getting worse and worse. The thing is, the modern society, the modern world, where the, the baby boomers and that kind of generation, what happened was they were looking at science and academia and they were taking God out of it. Themselves, hard workers. You work hard, that's what you do. That's what our parents did, that's what we do. So you work hard and you take God out of it and you, take, you put yourself in. And that's kind of trickled down a little bit. And then you get to the postmodern world, my generation, the generations that follow me. And we want something spiritual. I mean, statistics show that our generations really long for something spiritual. We long for something greater, that we know that there is something greater out there. The problem is we're not finding it in Christ. We're finding it in so many different things. The church is getting smaller and smaller. Change keeps happening, and it's going to happen, and it's going to affect us. My third one is this, that if the church does not change... If the church doesn't make a change in the way we operate and the way we function, we will fail to be the instrument that God desires us to be. If we don't change this year, we're going to fail to be what God has set us up to be. See, the thing is, God set us up to be the hope of the world. Jesus Christ is the salvation of the world. He came, he lived his life, he died, he rose again, conquered death. So that we might have eternal life. Then he went up to heaven. And what did he say before he left? It's your job now. It's your turn. I'll be back. But right now while I'm gone, Matthew 28, he says, Now go into the world. Go into the world and baptize all the nations in them, and them as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, and I'll be with you. But it's your turn now. It's your job to go into the world and to share my love, to be my hands, to be my feet. It's your job. If we don't change, we're going to fail in that. If we don't change what we do, how we operate, how we function, how we see the world, how the world sees us, we're going to fail in what God has set before us as our mission and our calling. In the 60 years since Billy Graham started his, uh, his ministry, we have spent billions and billions of dollars on church. Just money, I can't even count it. Billions of dollars on church. And yet, listen to this. The number of people who claim to be born again, who claim to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, hasn't changed. The percentage of people in 60 years, the percentage of people who claim to be a born again, saved person of Jesus Christ, had not changed. It hasn't changed. All the money that we have spent on it, and we haven't made a dent. The money that's gone to charity hasn't changed either. It has stayed the same. The only difference is the money that's coming to the church has dropped. It has dropped significantly. More money is going out to different things, to different alumni associations or different causes. We talked about this a few weeks ago. But it hasn't changed. You see, we're, we're attracting people, but the people that we're attracting, we're not affecting This is kind of hard for us to say, since the people we're attracting. But think about this. There's a lot of people that we're not attracting. There's a lot of people that we're not getting in the door to hear the message of Christ, that we're not able to surround in the love of Jesus Christ. But there are people that, that do come. And those people that do come, we're not really changing. The numbers show it. The evidence is there. So what's going on in the church? What's going on that we have that we have fallen back, that we have gotten stuck in a place and time and said, we're comfortable here, and we don't want to move. Well, all around us, the world's gone on. The world has changed. The world has shaped. The world is just completely different. Point one, the world changes faster and faster and faster, and yet we just move like a dinosaur, slow and waiting for extinction. If we don't change, we're going to be extinct. Here's the thing. Here's what we got to do. One, we got to realize that people, that people don't need programs anymore. The church for many, many, many decades has been focused on programs. Let's put together a program so we can bring people in and we can and we can take care of those people and we can have a good time and we can say, "Yay, Jesus." And we can just, you know, take care of ourselves and we have so many programs at this church and a lot of times, you know, 20 people, 30 people show up. We have a membership of 5,400 people. 20 people show up to a program. Going on? Well, people don't need that anymore. People also don't need practices. We don't need to give them practices. We don't need to be the ones to say, This is what you need to do. You need to do this. You need to operate this way. The church needs to operate this way. We need to follow these steps and guidelines. Most of the practices that people in the church world are talking about are the things you shouldn't do anymore because they don't have any relevance to the world. The church. Circles keep talking about, well, that's just, no one does that anymore. Let's kick that aside. We don't need to focus on practices. The third thing we don't need to focus on any longer, and and David says this is the one that's hardest for him to stomach and swallow because he's built a career on this, is people don't need principles anymore. We don't need to tell them what's right and what's wrong anymore. We don't need to to be the ones that say, you know, this is what you need for your family, your marriage, your life, everything. Because here's, here's the thing. What people need, they don't need programs or principles or practices. They need a person. Straight up. They need a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. We need to focus on Jesus Christ. We need to focus on discipleship. When Jesus came, if you read the Bible, you didn't see all these programs. that he set up these wonderful things. And he set up this beautiful, you know, little program. Said, okay, let's go out and send invitations to people and say, come watch a movie at the church, come do this, come do that, whatever it is. He didn't do that. He lived. He lived his life. And he told his disciples, be like me. Live your life like me. He taught about God. He taught about grace and mercy. And all he said was, be like me. And I'll take care of the rest. In John 14, 6, Jesus says this, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me, except through my example, through living a life like mine, through accepting the grace that I, comes with knowing me. Discipleship is knowing that. Paul takes it further in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. He says this, God has purchased our freedom with his blood and has forgiven all our sins. Verse 14 is where I am. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before God made anything at all and is supreme over all creation. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't. Kings, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. Everything has been created through him and for him. He existed before everything else began and he holds all creation together. It is about Jesus Christ, plain and simple end of story. That is what the church needs to focus on. Not the church. Because that's what we've been doing for so long. Is trying to be church. Instead of being Jesus. Here's the thing. this is I mean, this is a, a pretty tough message that David came up with. A pretty tough message to stand in front of the people who, who come faithfully and who serve in the church and who do all these things. And David gets up here and says, you all pretty much stink. Basically, it was the message that he and I are giving you today. That's not... If you hear it that way, I'm sorry. That's not what we're saying. One, know this. Jesus Christ loves you. He loves you. Despite of everything, despite of who you are, despite of all the things that you've done and all the things you will do, Jesus Christ loves you so much that he was willing to give his life for you. And indeed, he did. He gave his life for you. Spilled his blood. I don't know if you've seen the movie The Passion. And seeing Mel Gibson's representation of the crucifixion. I don't know if you've read any stories, any books about it. Heard any science reportings of what a crucifixion entailed. But it's nasty. It is horrible. And a blameless man did it. For you. For me. Because his love is so great for you. So know that, that he loves you. He loves you so much. And he, he wants you to love him. See, that's the thing we've got to get back to. We've got to get back to loving him. That's it. Just Do you really love Jesus Christ? I mean, I mean, really love Jesus Christ. That everything about you, that everything that it just flows through your body is about Jesus. Everything. From the moment you wake up in the morning to the night when you lay down your head. Everything is about Christ. It is just you eat drink breathe bleed everything it's not you don't bleed maroon or burnt orange you bleed jesus christ It's about him i I gotta tell you i ended 2007 pretty bad i did i I didn't have a good track record at the end of 2007 a lot of things were going on a lot of things in my daughter's life and our family a lot of new ministry opportunities that were very stressful to me and time-consuming a lot of things at church, a lot of relationships, family. It just seemed like stuff was just crowding in and crowding in and crowding in. And so what did I do? I said, God, you and me are tight, dog. We're good. So we're going to put it on cruise control for a while. Now, you know I love you. You know I believe in you. I accept you. I, I know I'm going to heaven. If I die right now, I know I'm going to heaven. But for right now, I'm just going to put it on cruise control. Because I've got to take care of some other things. Do you really love like Jesus Christ? And you know what? I could tell. I could tell. As I sit and I look back over the past few weeks, I can see it. I can see it in my life. I can see it in the way I treat my wife, the way I treat my family, the way I treat people up here at church. I can see it. I can feel it. I know that something is different in my life, and I know what it is. But I've forgotten that first thing, to love Jesus with everything. Everything. It doesn't matter the part of my life. It's all yours. All yours. You know we all fall off the track we fall off the train sometimes you got to remember that one thing do you really love jesus christ with everything you are everything you are there's a a sign in notre dame's uh, tunnel as they're leaving the locker room that says play like a champion today And you know all the players jump up and they hit it and they run out and then they lose and you know it's just a great little thing for them but we were talking about all of this upstairs in the pastor's meeting. I said, we need to put a sign right by the door outside of the pastor's offices that says, um, not play like a champion today, but uh, that says, are we a club or a mission? Because here's the thing. If we're a club, then we're going to focus on our members. We're going to focus on the people that are here. We're going to say, are you comfortable? Do you need anything? If you're coughing, we'll come bring you some water. If you're sneezing, we'll bring you a Kleenex. Do you need a little extra cushion for your seat? We can take care of that. Somebody mentioned that up front earlier. We'll take care of that for you because you're a member. You know, whatever. There was, a, there was a wedding last night and the microphone went out. And so Mark was doing the wedding. He had to scream, you know, do you take you? Know, something like that. And, you know, it was, it was in the sanctuary. So that's like just this cavernous place. And, you know, he goes, we're going to hear about it. We're going to hear about it because it was a member's wedding and they're going to complain about it. And, okay, are we a club? Are we taking care of our members or are we a mission? Are we taking care of the people that God has put here? Because the second thing is this. Do you love the people that Jesus loves? Do you love all the people that Jesus loves? Because there ain't one person out here that Jesus doesn't love. Not a single person in this world that Jesus Christ doesn't love. And you can look and think of the dirtiest person in the world. He loves them. Jesus loves him. Jesus died for him and longed for them to accept that saving grace. So do we love those people too? Do we love those people so much that we're willing to knock down the walls of this church and leave and say, we don't care about this building anymore because we have got to spread the message of Jesus Christ. Now, I've said this before, that we don't, I mean, if the walls fell down, the church doesn't end because the church isn't about walls. But I was thinking earlier as as we were worshiping up here that, you know, I always talk about my picture of heaven as Jesus and I sitting on a bass boat and we're just fishing and catching these enormous bass. It's just a great day. You know, I mean, that's, uh, heaven may be different. It doesn't say in the scripture that that's wrong. I'm just saying that. But, you know, one of the things that it does say about heaven is that people will gather together and praise God. People will gather together and praise God. And that's why this is so important. That's why this is. We need to leave campus to tell people about Christ. We're setting up a coffee shop on McCullough that sole purpose is to build relationships with people who would never step foot in a church campus. To share the love of Christ with them and to eventually get them to a place where we could invite them to come. Because this worship together on a Sunday morning is so important because it truly might be the picture of heaven. It truly might be the picture of heaven. I know the worship team's going, Are you kidding? We played horribly today. Doesn't it doesn't matter. They said that at 9 30. They played great. This is the picture of heaven. I mean, some of you that sit in the back don't get to feel it. But those of you that sit in the front, have you ever stopped singing and listened and felt? Oh, it's cool. I love it. I love stopping. I I love in the middle of a song that, oh, praise him. I just stop and just let it, just let the voices of God wash over me. Because, yeah, y'all are the voices of God. Scary thought, isn't it? Y'all are the voices of God. I just love to stop and just to feel it and to hear it. Don't you want other people to have that experience? And I love worship. So, Somebody told me I had too much coffee this morning, and that's why I was saying all this stuff. There was water in my glass. But seriously, I didn't have too much coffee. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that moves through me. And it is cool, and I want people to know it. Those of you that sit in the front, leave your seats and come, uh, in the back. Leave your seats and come up front. We don't bite. You know, their their breath doesn't sink that bad. Come forward and feel the power of God. Now, don't everybody stop singing at once because there will be nothing. But take turns. This year, what we're going to be talking about, this next four weeks, is the plan that's not a plan on how to do this. Because David doesn't know the direction we should go. But he knows some things that we need to focus on. And he knows some things that we need to get correct in order to move forward in this world and to really, truly grasp hold of that vision that Christ set forward of the church, the body of Christ. There's a story that says, if you want to build a boat, you don't gather people together that can build a boat. You don't gather together carpenters. You don't gather together shipmakers. What you do is you gather together people and teach them to love the open sea. Teach them to love and to long to be out into the sea. Then they'll figure out how to build the boat. We don't know how to build the boat. But, man, we love Jesus. Man, we love Jesus. And we want people to know it. And so together, maybe we can figure it out. Maybe we next four weeks this next year can figure out how to build the boat let us pray heavenly father we thank you and praise you for being the god that you are that loves us so much you gave your life for us that loves us so much you allow us to feel the power of your spirit flowing forth from ordinary people like me from ordinary people sitting here today singing praises to you god it is so exciting and life-giving to know your love know your forgiveness and your grace and mercy help us just to feel that and to have a fire like jeremiah says so great in our chest that we can no longer hold it in and we got to leave the walls of the church lord just place it on our hearts i know there are visitors here today and they will probably never come back because i'm just nuts lord but that you can speak through anything and let let us the body of christ this church this little part of the body go forward into the world and follow your direction of making disciples of all the nations. And let us know, Lord, the final words that you say to us before you ascend into heaven in Matthew 28, that you are always with us. Always with us. We thank you and praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.